As you'll see from the thing tonight, uh, your schedule you have in front of you, we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4. Um, we're going to start at verse 4 through the first line. It's a well-known passage. Um, it's a passage you've probably heard many times before. Um, but it's, it's one that the Lord has laid on my heart many a time. So let's, let's just read it together. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start at verses 4 through to verses 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. It was a cold day in January when I received the news. It started off like any other day. The alarm woke me up in the morning. I scrambled out of bed, walked to the bathroom like a zombie, looked in the mirror and saw something stirring back again. And just like I had the last 22 years, I drove to work, grabbed a cup of coffee and worked before I sat down at my desk. And it was only then I realized the mood in the building was a bit tense. Senior management with long faces and hushed tones were running back and forwards from the meeting rooms. People were whispering around me. That day there was a storm brewing, and none of us saw it coming. A meeting was called with several senior executives from overseas, and they had come over to join us. We knew something was happening, but we didn't know what. People around me were looking at each other with nervous glances, and then... We were called together and were given the news. We're being taken over, was the announcement. And all Belfast staff are to lose their job. The storm hit. It reared its ugly head. You know something? Anxiety comes to us all. That morning, all I could see from pe- as I looked around the folk in my workplace were people stirring um, at each other. Some were crying. Some didn't know what to do, but there was a lot of anxiety there. And you know, nobody is immune to anxiety. We're all human, and like it or not, not, we all face circumstances where anxiety floods in, sometimes unexpectedly, like that morning in January of this year for myself. And for some of us, it's a constant struggle. And yet the Bible has a lot to say about anxiety to us. You know, it seems our lives are filled with worry. So much so that we can read Paul's message and ask ourselves, was he really in touch with reality? Whenever he said, be anxious for nothing, zero, silch, be anxious for nothing, we can wonder to ourselves, how can that be? Is that what he meant? When you know something, not exactly. Because when Paul wrote the phrase, he wrote it in the present active tense, which implies an ongoing state. And it's the life of perpetual anxiety that Paul wants to address. You know, perpetual anxiety 
Um, one author said, Max Lucado says, is a mental alarm system that never quite turns off. And the Greek word that's actually used for anxious means to divide the mind. And that's what anxiety does. It takes an axe to our thoughts. It takes a knife to it. And it, dra- it divides our mind up between different things. It drains us of our focus. It drains us of our energy. It sends our awareness in a dozen different directions. We worry about tons of things. We worry about what we did in the past. Things that went wrong. Mistakes that we have made. We worry about the fear of the future as well. What's to happen? What's going to come? We worry about sometimes small things. We worry about losing our job, as it was for myself. And by the way, it goes on the 30th of September this year. I'm going to go whenever we were told. That's when it's going, the 30th of September. But you know something? Statistics, and even in our country, if you look up the website, in any one year... It's estimated that a staggering one in four of the British population will experience a mental health problem. Out of these, mixed anxiety and depression are actually the most common forms of mental health disorders within the UK. And they say also that anxiety affects around about 16% of the population at any one time. Researchers have speculated that the Western world's environment has changed more in the last 30 years than in the previous 300. And we only have to look at life to experience that. We see even in workplaces the more pressure that's put upon us. And the different, even from technology, the things that have happened with technology, we can now send instant messages across the world. We can also receive news within an instant. There's constantly, we hear trouble going on around the world. And it's into this that Paul speaks. It's not just an ancient message, but it's a message that's very applicable for today's world. It's very applicable for me and for you. You know, anxiety is not a sin. It's an emotion. And when we read in the Bible, we see many people having anxious thoughts. However, it can lead us to sinful behavior. So what does the Bible have to say to us to help us with this? You know, the Bible is full of advice for us as Christians. I don't know, for those who aren't Christians, how sometimes they cope with anxiety and the pressures of life and everything that's coming on. And I know in myself as a Christian that I actually struggle with anxiety. It's something that I battle with myself. It's something that I have to constantly pray about. Something that I have to constantly bring to God. Even tonight I was telling the people, um, I'm speaking on anxious for nothing. And you know something? My stomach was churning. As I was getting up, I was thinking, Lord, help me. Lord, help me here. But you know something? The first thing I want to bring out, there's lots we can bring out even from this passage alone. But the very first thing I want to bring out is that we start with God. What does it say to start off with? It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That we can rejoice, that we can delight in God. What can we delight in? Well, we can delight that God is sovereign. And we can rejoice that God is good. What do we mean by God being sovereign? What do we mean? What's the definition for it? 
It means basically there's no limits to God's rule. He's never helpless. He's never frustrated. He's never at a loss. And the Bible confirms that he is the ultimate source of all power over everything. And has authority over all and over everything that exists. He's the king of the universe. He is without any form of limitation. He's out of sight of time. He's infinite. He is the absolute ruler of all. Put simply, God is in control. You know, there's a story in the Bible, and it's in the Gospels, and it speaks about the disciples had already been witnessing to a multitude, had been witness to a multitude of miracles. Jesus had spoken, and they got into a boat to travel to the other side of the lake. And the Bible says a great storm arose. Now, I got out my Greek um, Bible, dusted the, um, the cover because I haven't used it in quite a while. And I actually looked up the, the Greek word for that. And it's actually a very interesting word. It's a word seismos. Seismos. That's where you get seismic activity from. So when they were saying a great storm arose, this wasn't just your ordinary storm. This wasn't just something you paddled about in. This was a great storm. And it sent a group of experienced fishermen into a blind panic. Waves were crashing into the side of the boat and threatened to overturn it. And the disciples were running around in great anxiety trying to keep the boat afloat. And their boat wasn't floating. You know, whilst they were running around and fretting, they noticed Jesus sleeping there, unconcerned. And perhaps the disciples started to grumble because their focus was on the storm. Why was Jesus sleeping? Did he not know how much trouble they were in? They were going to sink. And you know, sometimes we feel like that too. You know, Great storms come into our life. Anxieties press in on us. We worry about different circumstances and we wonder how we're going to get through them. And it's a great storm. And being a Christian doesn't stop us from getting those storms in our life. After flopping around for some time, the disciples realized that all their efforts were failing. They went to Jesus, woke him up, and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And you know something? Jesus taught them a lesson at this point. This is what Jesus said to them. Why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. And then Jesus rebukes the weather. And his creation calms down. You know something? I must admit I often like the disciples. When anxiety crowds saying, I would love to turn around and say, you know, I'm a great man of faith, you know, and uh, I get up and everything's fine, I pray, you know, some, I don't. And quite often I'm like the disciples, I'm running around trying to sort the problem out, trying to ditch the water out of the boat, as it were. And yet Jesus is there. The first thing we can do is to start with God. To realize that he is an all-powerful God. That he is a God that there is, is sovereign. That there is no limitations to. And no matter what we face. Well, no matter what circumstances we have in our life. We can bring them to God. We can bring them to him. Because he has the power to help us. You know there are many things that happen in our life. That can seem like seismic, seismic 
offence. A loss of a job. Could be an unfair boss or work colleague. Being told that you have a terminal illness. Even for some of us, just the everyday drudge of life. No, for whatever the reason, anxiety can well up inside us and threaten the overturn us just like the boat. I challenge us today. We can be like those disciples and we can run around and we can worry, we can fret, we can be anxious. But God is there. We can take our concerns to God. He is powerful enough to be able to meet you within that situation. doesn't always take that situation away from us. But he will be near and he will be with you. One author said, anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, if I go to my boss and he says this? What if I get up to preach and I make an absolute muck of it? All those sorts of things. Yet instead of focusing on the problem, as Christians we can turn our focus to the master, to Jesus. There's no problem that you face that God cannot turn around or help you through. Absolutely nothing. I remember when I first came to the church here um, many years ago, I remember Ken was speaking about Daniel. And he talked about Daniel having an internal belief system, one that knew his God and was confident in his God. You know, I remember when I was younger, all my friends used to put up their tents and put their wee poles up. But when a wind sort of came, it would have blown them over. Well, my dad, he was good with his hands. I remember him knocking down some of the trees he was getting rid of within the garden and he knocked them down and he actually built this big framework and put this big tent together and boy was it sturdy you couldn't have knocked it down if you tried he put a good system there good poles to keep it steady so that even when the winds and the rains came and the kids from our backyard used to love coming around and getting into it was like a wigwam the way he done it actually it was fantastic um it was a brilliant foundation he had put in and that's what our belief system needs to be in God. That we're confident that our God, that he is powerful enough to come in and meet us, meet that need to meet us where we are at. He is powerful enough to come and take us through it. Do we have a deeply rooted confidence that God exists, that he's in control and that he is good? You know something, we can also not only start with God, we start with him, focus on him, but we can ask God for help. As it says there, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We can simply ask God for help. You know, it's one thing knowing that God is sovereign, But we must also have a deeply rooted belief that God is good, that he cares for you, that he's interested in you, in your life, your work, your activities, in everything that you do, and that he wants to help. 
And we could come to him and we could ask God for help. I wonder if you've ever called one of those call centers up. I, I remember calling up not so long. I'll not give the name of the call center. But I remember giving them a call. And it's one of those call centers that they're all very polite to you. But, oh, I can't help with that. I'll put you through to the next person. And I thought, okay, fair enough. 40 people, or 40 minutes, uh, nine people later, I was still on the phone trying to ask for help on a simple problem. You know, God's not like that. And when we come to God, God wants to help. God is interested in your personal circumstances. He's interested in your life. He's interested in every aspect of what you do. Not just in Christians, with Christians as a whole, but in your personal life, God is interested. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. And C.S. Lewis also said this quote, and I liked it. It says, though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. God cares about you. He loves you. There's a story in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to quickly read it here. You've probably heard it many times, the story of the persistent widow. And it says, Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. He said, there was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him, my rights are being violated, protect me. He never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something to see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. You can tell us it's a message where it's going. Then the master said, do you hear what that judge, as corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people? who continue to cry out for help, won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. He will not drag his feet. You know, when you look at that particular passage, be careful not to assume that God is comparing himself to the unjust judge who only answered because the widow badgered him. This is not a parable of comparison, but of contrast. God's actually pointing out quite the opposite here, that he is good and that he wants to answer and do good for his people, for you personally. God's not like the judge. God is willing and good and wanting to answer his children's prayers. Not only that, you're not like the widow. The widow at that time would have been at the bottom of the pecking order, as it were. But you're not. You're God's child and God loves you. Another verse in the Bible says, and we all know it, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, to cast something, if you're casting it, you're relocating an object somewhere else. And that's what the verse is saying. God cares for us, so relocate your anxiety to God. He's big enough to carry the burden. He's powerful enough to solve it. And don't miss the last point. He cares for you. 
cares for you. You know something? I am glad that when we face those problems that we can go to God, that we can cast our anxiety upon him, that God does care for us. I wonder how much we trust that. I wonder how much we really believe that. That God is willing to step in. That he's willing to help you no matter where you're at. And you know something he is. He is willing and he is able. We've all heard about Billy Graham recently. Well, his son Franklin said, no matter what storm you face, you need to know that God loves you. He has not abandoned you. God never abandons his children. He cares deeply about you. So the first thing we've learned there is we can look and focus upon God. We start with God. We ask, second thing is we ask God for help. The third thing is probably one of the harder things to do, actually. It's entrusting it to God and rest in him. You know, we don't have to carry the burden. We don't have to carry the anxiety. For those of us like myself who sometimes suffer from anxiety a little bit and battle with it, it's about control. You want to try and control the circumstance yourself. You want to try and bring it around you want to make sure that it goes the way you want it to go. And letting go of anxiety is not an easy thing. But God wants us to do that, to entrust it to him. C.H. Spurgeon actually said the very essence of anxious care is the imagining that we are wiser than God and the thrusting of ourselves into his place to do for him that which we dream he either cannot do or will not do. And sometimes I have to admit that's what I do. I try and control the situation. I try to put myself into God's place instead of going to God and asking him for help and entrusting it to, lead, and entrusting it to him. You know, there's a story in the Bible that I love to read. It illustrates the point um, very clearly that we can entrust our worries to God. And it's actually found in the Old Testament, and it's about King Jehoshaphat. don't know how many times you've read about King Jehoshaphat, but it's found in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And he was in a very anxious situation, and not without cause, because the Moabites had come together, and they'd allied with the nations around, and they were getting ready to attack Israel. And the Bible talks about there being a multitude there. They were overwhelmed. King Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do. The situation was grim. King Jehoshaphat was in a panic as a multitude of troops rallied against him. But Jehoshaphat done the right thing because in his panic he realized that they could not fight against these people. There were too many of them. And he turned to God and he prayed and he called for subjects to fast and to pray to God too. And you know something? God replied, and I like what God says. He says, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. 
Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Siz, said I said, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jurel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that God will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, I like what Jehoshaphat actually did. He was so confident in God's response, he headed up the battle with singers, praising God. And they went out singing. And you know something? God came through. They didn't have to fight the battle at all. The battle was won because God was in it. God can do that for us too. The battle is not ours. God is concerned about your life. He's concerned about every aspect of it. He wants to help. What is it you're anxious about now? What is it you're worrying about? Bring it to God. Leave it and entrust it to him. As hard sometimes as that is. And God will help. know something there's a wee illustration I want to read to us just in conclusion I'm going to ask the singers to come up now um, just while I'm doing this and it's about resting in God and I think it's a fantastic illustration it's one I read many years ago but I, I still think it's absolutely fantastic a pastor had been on a long flight from one place to another and the first warning sign of the flight approached when a sign flashed on the airplane saying, fashion your seatbelts. Then after a while, a calm voice said, we shall not be serving the beverages at this time as we're expecting a little turbulence. Please be sure that your seatbelt is fastened. As he looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming apprehensive and anxious. Then the voice came through, we are so sorry that we're unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. And that's when it happened. The storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkened skies. And within moments that great plane was like a cork tossed around in a celestial ocean. One moment the airplane was lifted on terrific currents and air. And the next it dropped right down as if it was about to crash. The pastor confessed that he shared discomfort and fear of all those around him. He said, as he looked around the plane, he could see people so anxious and upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed ominous. And many were wondering if they would make it through the storm. Then she suddenly saw a little girl. Apparently the storm meant nothing to her. She tucked her feet beneath, beneath her as she sat in the seat and was reading the book. And everything within her small world was calm and orderly, while everybody else around her panicked. Sometimes she closed her eyes. Then she would read again. Then she would straighten her legs. But one thing wasn't in her world was worry and fear. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lurched this way and that, it rose and fell with fright and severity, and all the adults were scared half to death, death, the marvellous child was completely composed and unafraid. And the minister could hardly believe his eyes. 
It was not surprising, therefore, when the plane finally reached its destination and all the passengers were hurrying to get off. The pastor lingered around to speak to the little girl whom he had watched for such a long time. Having commented about the storm to her and the behavior on the plane, he asked why she hadn't been afraid. The child replied, because my daddy's a pilot and he's taken me home. You know something? God is our pilot and he's taken us home. Just like that little girl, we have faced storms in life. We have faced many anxious circumstances. But our daddy's the pilot and he's taken us home.